0: following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came down from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This morning we're starting a new series in the Gospel of Luke, and I'm hoping that this will be a good flow on from the series that we've just finished in the book of Acts, because both Luke and Acts are written by the same person, Luke. And he wrote the Gospel of Luke as a kind of a biography of Jesus' life. And then he wrote the book of Acts as an account of the growth and the the development of the early church. And so originally, these two books really went together as volume one and volume two of Luke's work. So even though we're kind of working back in time from Acts back to Luke, I'm hoping that there'll be some continuity there by virtue of the same author. So as we approach the Gospel of Luke, what we're going to do is look at some passages from Luke that describe the ministry years of Jesus. That's about a three to three and a half year period of time when Jesus engaged in his public ministry around Israel. The time when he went around teaching and interacting with people, apprenticing his disciples, working miracles and so on uh, around the nation of Israel in public ministry. And we'll look at some selected texts that take us into those experiences along the journey with Jesus. And that whole public ministry of Jesus, it begins with this event that we're looking at this morning, the baptism of Jesus. That's where his public ministry started. And that event is described for us very briefly in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. We've heard Huia read that out to us this morning. It's a very succinct account of Jesus' baptism, quite short, but it is loaded with significance. There is a world of meaning and depth and richness in these verses that open up a huge vision for us of who Jesus is, his identity, his purpose, and his role and calling in the world. So I wanna walk with you through this passage and through this experience of Jesus that takes us into the identity of Jesus, tells us more about who he is, and eventually shows us something about who we are as well. And we'll get to that. So this happened to Jesus about the time that he was around 30 years old. And up to this point, Jesus had been working in his father's business, working with Joseph as a carpenter, a kind of tradesperson, in his hometown of Nazareth. And then at this point, Jesus travels south to where John the Baptist is baptizing people in the Jordan River. And Jesus takes his place in line there in the line of people waiting to get baptized. And we need to ask the, the question at the outset, why Did Jesus need to be baptized? I mean, in some ways, it it seems kind of strange. Jesus was the son of God. He was totally sinless. He had no need to repent at all. So what's he doing getting baptized? And this is where it's helpful to distinguish between the baptism of, of John the Baptist that he took people through and Christian baptism today. Because when we get baptized as Christian believers, we are getting baptized on the basis of Jesus' death and resurrection. But of course, those events hadn't happened yet for Jesus. That was all still to come. So the baptism that John the Baptist took people through was a different kind of thing. It was a preparatory baptism. John's baptism was making people ready for the coming kingdom of God. It was preparing them for what God was yet to do. It was enabling people to identify fully with this kingdom of God that was about to be revealed and take their place within it. It was a preparatory kind of baptism. And so even though Jesus is a categorically different kind of person as, as the Son of God and had no need to repent, the reason that he gets baptized at this point is fundamentally the same as everyone else. That he was identifying himself fully with the kingdom of heaven that was coming. He was Handing himself over to his heavenly father and to God's purposes, and identifying himself fully with God's plans, God's kingdom, and God's calling on his life. This is Jesus taking his place within the kingdom of God as the king. And so Jesus comes to John, and John baptizes him there in the Jordan River. I've been to that that area of the Jordan River and generally where Jesus was baptized. And it's not a particularly nice part of the Jordan. The water, when I was there, was pretty muddy. It was brown and murky. You don't know what kind of slimy creatures are swimming around in that thing. It's sort of a lot of reeds on the banks of the Jordan River. So there's nothing particularly special about the physical location where Jesus got baptized. And even the physical act of getting baptized. He was immersed in water. But what was remarkable was what happens when Jesus comes up out of the water. And the first thing that we're told there in Luke chapter 3 is that the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. Now, there is a rich backdrop to this in the Old Testament. You go all the way back to Genesis all the way back to the first chapter of the Bible Genesis 1 and in Genesis 1 verse 2 we're told that before creation the earth was formless and void it was this empty lifeless world and that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters so you have this picture there of the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters brooding over the waters and there's a sense of anticipation the sense of expectation for what is coming, that the Spirit is just hovering there waiting, waiting for the Word from the Father, the Word that is going to bring life, that is going to bring creation into being. And now here at the baptism of Jesus, you've got the same thing. Once again, you've got the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. This time it's the Jordan River, but the Spirit is there and he's hovering. And there's again a sense of expectation, a sense of anticipation. What is God going to do? We're waiting again for the word from the Father to come and give life and give light. And so what this shows us is that what will unfold through the ministry of Jesus is a kind of a new creation, that what is coming is is this renewal of creation. Creation itself is going to be reborn It's going to be renewed. It's going to be restored through Jesus. This is nothing less than the renewal of God's world. It's creation all over again. That's what we're expecting as the Spirit comes down and once again hovers over the waters. There are these echoes here of the creation story. So the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus, and then we have the word from the Father himself. God the Father speaks. And he says... These three simple phrases to Jesus. In verse 22, he says, You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Simple words in some ways, but there is a weight of meaning in these words which is profound. All three of those phrases have a background in the, New Te- in the, in the Old Testament. Let me just briefly take you through it when God says, you are my son, those words take us back to Psalm 2. It's a quotation from Psalm chapter 2. In Psalm 2, God says those exact words, and there he is saying them to the king. He is speaking these words to the king of Israel, saying the king is is like the son that God has chosen, the one that he's anointed, the one that he's appointed to be his ruler over his people. God has established his king. And so There's a sense here when God says to Jesus, you are my son. He's not just naming him as his son. He's naming him as a king. And he's saying, you are the rightful king over my people, over the whole world. Jesus is the anointed and the appointed king of kings and lord of lords. That's what we should hear in those words. This is a royal proclamation, a royal declaration. So you are my son establishes the kingship. Of Jesus. And then God says, whom I love. And literally that word in Greek means beloved. Some older translations preserve that word, beloved, a beautiful word. And that word, that phrase has an echo there all the way back to Genesis chapter 22, which is the story of Abraham and Isaac, a story where God appears to Abraham and calls him to, to sacrifice the life of his only son, Isaac. And when God calls Abraham to do that, he says to him, Abraham, take your son, your only son, your beloved, the son whom you love. That's the equivalent word there in Hebrew and take him to Mount Moriah and on the story goes. And so now when the father says to Jesus, you are my son, my beloved. For the Jewish reader, they would hear those echoes of the Abraham story and they would hear this is the new Isaac. This is the beloved of the father. And not only is he the beloved, but there's a sense here of where his destiny is heading. There's a sense here that he is the son, but he is the son who is going to be sacrificed. He is the son who will eventually, his life will be given. And unlike Isaac, Jesus will go right through with death and he will taste death for everyone. So that story sits in the background of these words as well, the Abraham and Isaac story. And then finally, God the Father says to Jesus, with you, I am well pleased. And literally, those words mean, in you I delight. And that phrase is lifted from Isaiah 42, which is a passage about the Messiah. And God says, here is my servant in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. It's a messianic passage talking about God's Messiah. And so for the father to use those words here to describe his son is telling us that Jesus is the Messiah. He is that servant that Isaiah spoke of. And once you get that key in the lock and you identify Jesus as the Messiah, then it unlocks a whole lot of the rest of Isaiah as well because you can read not only Isaiah 42, but all of the following chapters that talk about the Messiah and you can see Jesus in all of them. And you can recognize that this is what will happen to the Messiah. He will suffer on behalf of his people, and then he'll be vindicated somehow by God, and he'll bring righteousness, and he'll bring justice, and he will establish God's kingdom, but it won't be without his own suffering and eventually his death. There's a whole story there of the Messiah, and it's all encapsulated in those words. And so we have this statement here of Jesus' messianic identity. So, there's an awful lot going on in those three phrases. They're simple words, but they come together to form a cluster of images that give us a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. They weave this rich tapestry that forms a wonderfully diverse picture of Jesus in his various roles. He is the King of Israel and of the whole world, he's the beloved Son of the Father, he's the Messiah whose role will be to suffer, to be sacrificed, and to die on behalf of his people, on behalf of humanity. All of that is included and contained within these words. And this is important not just for us to get a sense of Jesus' identity. I think this was also important for Jesus himself to have a deeper sense of his own identity and his own calling. You have to remember that Jesus wasn't born knowing that he was the second person of the Trinity. Jesus didn't come out of the womb knowing that he was the Son of God. This is something that had to be revealed to him by the Father, by the Spirit. And it was revealed over time, especially in his his early years. And at this point, at the beginning of his public ministry, this was an important moment for Jesus to hear the Father affirm His identity as the Son, the King, the Messiah, the Beloved, this was affirming and confirming for Jesus in his own sense of who he was and what he was called to do. And I love the thought that maybe in in the days or months following this, perhaps Jesus himself sat there with the Isaiah scrolls and went through the prophecies surrounding the Messiah and read there who he was called to be, and and gained from those passages a sense of his own calling, his own identity, as he read passages like Isaiah 42, Isaiah 53, and so on. And he saw himself and his own role in the pages of the Old Testament as the Father revealed it to him. So this is an important moment for Jesus in, in his calling and his identity It's an important passage for us to understand who Jesus is, to see his identity, but it's also a passage in which we can see ourselves and we get a deeper sense of who we are. Let me read you a verse further on in the New Testament in the book of Colossians. This is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. For you died, and your life, Is now hidden with Christ in God. And what that verse is saying is that when we become a Christian, when we give our lives to Christ, our identity is drawn into the identity of Jesus. It's not just that we have this relationship with Jesus where it's us over here and Him over there. Somehow our identity is drawn into who He is. Our life becomes hidden with Him. That our, our, our self is wrapped up in him and everything that he has becomes ours. His life becomes our life. His death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His ascension becomes our ascension. His place in heaven becomes our place in heaven. And his relationship with the Father becomes our relationship with the Father. We now relate to the Father in Christ We are in Him, and so we share in this intimate communion between the Father and the Son, by the Spirit. When the Father looks at us, He sees Jesus. He sees His own beloved Son, because our identity is in Him. And what that means is that we can come to this story, and we can see ourselves in this story, and we can hear the words of the Father spoken to Jesus. We can hear those words spoken to us and that doesn't mean that we are Jesus it doesn't mean that we are the son of God or we are divine or anything like that please don't hear me saying that but it means that we are in Christ the Bible tells us that our identity is in Jesus all he has has become ours every spiritual blessing and that means the words of the father spoken to Jesus we can hear those words spoken to us you can hear those words spoken to you today the father God the father says to you today You are my son or my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And he doesn't say he's well pleased with you because you're perfect. He knows you're not. He knows you're broken and and sinful and flawed. But he is well pleased with you because he's well pleased with Jesus. It is because of the Son that we are the beloved of the Father. We are accepted by God because he has already accepted Jesus. We are approved of by God because he's already approved of Jesus. God delights in us because he delights in his son. God is well pleased with us because he is well pleased with Jesus. We are God's beloved because we are in Christ and Christ is the beloved of God. So that means in a very real sense, those words are yours. Those words are yours to claim today. Those words are yours to listen to and hear today. And it's so important that we do hear them because this really takes us, I think, to the core of our identity as human beings. It's a fundamental part of our humanity to ask the question, where does my identity come from? Who gets to name me in the deepest sense? Who gets to tell me who I am? Where does my identity come from? That's a critical question, maybe more pressing in our modern times than ever before. Where does our identity come from? And we can look in all kinds of places for our identity today. We're told that we can search within ourselves to try and find identity, look deep within and find your true self, self and live that out in this kind of self-determined way. We could try that. We try to find our identity in our relationships with other people, family or friends, and we get a sense of who we are from them. We can try and find our identity in our achievements, the things that we've done and we're proud of. That defines us. That can determine who we are. Many people receive their identity from their past, whether good or bad. Their own past defines them and tells them who they are. We can determine our identity by our sexuality, We can determine our identity by our beliefs and views on things, even our politics, this close to an election. Many people are defined by their political ideology. That is their identity. We can look in all sorts of places for identity. But all of these paths to trying to find human identity, they all lead to a diminishing of ourselves. They leave us without a true and deep and, and, and certain sense of who we truly are. It is only when we come back to Scripture and we hear these words of the Father that we can really understand who we are. Because in Scripture, our identity is not something that we construct for ourselves. It's not something that we make up or even find in somebody else. It is something we receive. It is something we receive from our Heavenly Father as He names us and He tells us who we are. We receive it as a gift from God. That's where identity is supposed to come from. We'll exhaust ourselves trying to create our own sense of identity in life. But God says to us, you're only going to know who you are when you know whose you are. That is when we know we are the beloved of the father, that we belong to him and we will find our identity in relationship with him we need to come back and allow that to be the very center of our core identity if we are going to have a strong sense in this world of knowing who we are last year when our family was in vancouver we visited on vancouver island an animal wildlife sanctuary and it was tasked with rehabilitating and rescuing and caring for a whole range of vulnerable animals And one of the conditions that several of the animals had in the sanctuary is that they had not properly imprinted on their parent animal. And so animals are supposed to imprint by, when when they're very young, when they're first born, let's say a, a little bird hatching, and that bird is supposed to look into the face of its mother, its mother bird, and get that sense of its identity. It looks to its mother and it understands that it is a bird. And it understands what kind of bird it is. And it understands this is my mother. And this is the one who will protect me. This is the one who will provide for me. And its identity falls into place. And for whatever reason, these animals had not had that imprinting process happen. And so you have these animals there that don't know what kind of animal they are. Like birds that don't know... They are birds. And of course, that leaves animals incredibly vulnerable. They don't know how to, how to act. They don't know how to fend for themselves. And so they're really vulnerable to predators coming in. And thankfully, many of them can be rescued by, this, by the sanctuary. But that, to me, is a great picture of how we are intended to receive our identity from God. In a biological sense, we are intended to imprint upon our parents. We are supposed to, as babies look into the eyes of our mother and get that sense of who we are, that we know ourselves because we're looking at our parent. That's identity. But at the very core level of our being, the level of our soul, the deepest part of who we are, we are intended to imprint upon God. We are supposed to look into the eyes of God, so to speak, and recognize him and recognize him as our father, recognize him as our heavenly father. And we allow him to tell us who we are. We receive from him a sense of identity. We know who we are in connection. We know that he is our protector. We know he is our provider. That gives us a sense of who we are and how we are to live within the world. Our identity falls into place as we look into the face of God. And of course, when we fail to imprint upon God properly, just like in the animal kingdom, we leave ourselves very vulnerable. We leave ourselves vulnerable to our identity being shaped in a whole range of other ways. Vulnerable to other people coming and telling us who we are and we just become whatever other people say we should be or should should do. Or we become vulnerable to the attack of the evil one who comes in and tells us we're useless, that we don't have any real identity, that we're, we're worthless and we're inadequate and life is fairly hopeless. We're vulnerable to those attacks and it, it leaves us in a place of confusion about our identity. I think this is where so many people live a place of being exhausted and trying to maintain some kind of identity that we've constructed ourselves, and a place of fundamentally questioning who we are. It's only as we learn to imprint our lives upon God and allow our Heavenly Father to determine our identity that we will know who we are, we will have a strong sense of self, and we will be able to live confidently, And courageously within this world with a strong center grounded in our identity in Christ. So I want to encourage you this morning to allow those words that God spoke to his son at the baptism of Jesus to really sink in. And I pray that you'd be able to hear those words in a deeper way maybe than than you've ever been able to hear them before. And really let them tell you who you are. You are my son, you are my daughter, with you I am well pleased. As we finish this morning, I want to read some words from one of my favorite writers. His name is Henry Nouwen. And he's written a book called The Life of the Beloved. And he uses the words of the Father to Jesus at this point as the whole framing of his book. He slightly rephrases it and, and, and says those words as, You are my beloved, on you my favor rests. And he says this is the fundamental identity we have. In fact, he's, he's writing the book to a secular friend of his and encouraging him to ground his identity in this same place. But let me read you what he shares around this. And, and perhaps you could hear these words as, as the Father speaking these words to you this morning. I pray this would sink into your heart. I hear at my center words that say, I have called you by name from the very beginning. You are mine and I am yours. You are my beloved, on you my favour rests. I have moulded you in the depths of the earth and knitted you together in your mother's womb. I have carved you in the palms of my hands and hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. I look at you with infinite tenderness and care for you with a care more intimate than that of a mother for her child. I have counted every hair on your head and guided you at every step. Wherever you go, I go with you. And wherever you rest, I keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy all your hunger and drink that will quench all your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. Wherever you are, I will be. Nothing will separate us. We are one. I pray that you could hear those words addressed to you I pray that you could hear the voice of the Father and I pray that you would be able to continually allow those words to be spoken into your soul in a whole lot of different ways that they would shape who you are that they would give you clarity in your identity and they would enable you to live confidently in your identity in Christ I pray that you could hear those words that you are the son the daughter of God you are his beloved today his favor rests on you he delights in you He is well pleased with you. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you today that you are the one who names us. You are the one who gives us our identity and that we only know who we are when we truly know whose we are, that we belong to you. And I pray for every person watching this today, Lord God wherever they are and whatever their circumstances, whatever their journey to this point, I pray today that they would be able to come back to this central truth, this reality, this, these words that you, you long to speak to us, God. But so often we don't want to hear them. We push them aside. Or we just don't let them really sink in. But I pray today they would sink in in a new way as we hear you speak to us of how beloved we are, how much you delight in us, how pleased you are with us and how much you accept us. We thank you that all of that is a sheer gift of your grace. It's nothing that that we can do to contribute towards that or earn that or make ourselves any more deserving. Lord, it's just your sheer pleasure. It's your sheer love for us that makes us who we are. So we just put ourselves in a posture of receiving that today and we allow ourselves to be refreshed by the assurance that we are your beloved children. We thank you that you've called us your own. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shore.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455.